This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas, and today I'm visiting at Hill Country Aviaries in Austin, Texas. This week we're going to talk about the art of designing a great aviary with Mark Moore. Mark is the co-owner and curator of birds at Hill Country Aviaries. Mark's very active with the American Federation of Agriculture. Um, in fact, he chairs the AFA Publications Committee and is instrumental in the creation of their wonderful magazine, The Watchbird. If you're not a member, you should check it out, and The Watchbird is well worth the membership. Um, one of Mark's specialties is aviary design. Today, Mark's going to share some of his techniques for building quality housing for our parrots. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other? Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Kitty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. As I mentioned before, our guest today is Mark Moore. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good morning. Fine. How are you? Good. It's great to have you here. Well, actually, for me to be here. (laughs) So, Mark, how did you get started in aviculture? Actually, we inherited a parrot when I was a small child from my grandparents. Um, 
and having a bird in the household as a, a young child was a great influence on me. Mm-hmm. And you now, did you get to interact with that bird? And not very much. He was a wild imported Amazon, but the fact that he was able to uh, mimic mm-hmm. um, my mother's voice, uh, I found very intriguing. Ah, did he tell you to behave? And <laughs> he yelled at my brother a lot. <laughs> That's good. Very good. <laughs> and it, you know, it brings back that thought that they do mimic really well, and people forget that sometimes. So you have to be careful what you say <laughs> in front of your pet birds. So is that your first bird-related memory, or...? Yeah, the first memory of having a bird in the house would mm-hmm. be uh, that Amazon. Yeah, his name was Jekyll. Cool. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> he had many personalities, he did, yes. Now, um, how about wild bird memory? Or out, Do you do a lot of birding, or...? I did. Uh, growing up on a farm, uh, my parents had 80 acres. My grandparents had 250 acres. Oh, my. So we were always outside with the wildlife, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be the pheasants or... You know anything else that was indigenous to the area okay um so that so that's how you got your start how did you get involved in aviculture itself and in, in i had moved to california in 1979 um and every day on the way home from school would stop at a pet store uh-huh. and uh blanche way was the owner and she knew that i had a keen interest in the birds that were in her shop and she was generous enough to allow me to make uh payments once a week Nice. And I acquired my first cockatoo, which was the first bird that I owned. A cockatoo. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a starter bird, if you will. Uh, I've never started small. <laughs> <laughs> Just go for it. That's the way to do it. So how, now how long did you have that bird? I had him for about 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And that, that again is another important point that for listeners to think about when they're considering getting a bird or, or inc- getting another bird for their collection that... Um, they do live a long time and and you have to be dedicated to that and and aware of what you're getting into. So Mark, are you involved or are you, are there any conservation projects uh, with birds that you're particularly interested in? There's a lot of great projects out there with very dedicated people working on them. I like the, uh, the cockapoe project in New Zealand. Oh, that's Uh, great. I've actually been to New Zealand several times, uh, and I've been to Kapiti Island, which is just north of Maud Island. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, an experience I will never forget. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. The the cockapoo has been on the internet quite a bit with the the video. Yes, there is um, a new video, isn't there? <laughs> there is. So that's been pretty popular lately. Yeah. So they've brought them yeah. to the forefront, which is good. They're yeah. a huge parrot. Very big parrot. Yeah. Um, but not needing to fly, uh, they can be a little heavier than most. <laughs> right, right. It's uh, interesting, some of the species that you do find um, in that part of the world that, that we don't get a lot of exposure to. And um, Now, the, that project, what is their their mission? So, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with what's Well, they had a, a very, very small population. It's one of the most endangered birds in the world. Um, and they're just trying to propagate uh, the pairs that they have, manage them genetically, and be able to increase the population slowly. Uh, it's a difficult process, but they've mm-hmm. had some success. Excellent. That's, yeah. It's so important that we you know, support organizations or, or groups that are doing that kind of conservation work. Is there a way that, that our listeners can be involved in supporting that? Or you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you check out the internet, uh, there's a way to make contributions to that program. Okay. Um, I know it's very time consuming. They've been working at it a long, long time, um, and the expenses in doing it are astronomical. Oh, duh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something that we, we forget sometimes that the conservation work that's going on, a lot of it is so very, all of it is so very important, 
but it does take money. You know, it takes that um, that support of people who have a passion for birds and and who have a passion for the environment. Um, and and if you know we can get out there as pet bird owners and and support the conservation efforts, I think it's really um, a, a good way to go about things. So. Absolutely. Now, um, what we're going to talk about today, Mark, um, you're really into aviary design. Uh, to, to put it lightly, maybe? Yeah, I've built a few. <laughs> um, you know, seeing your facility here, um, it's a little different than, you know, what a companion parrot owner might have. But if, what do you think are the essentials of good aviary design? Uh, make the enclosure as large as possible, although bigger is not always better. Um, and again, the uh, the security of the bird uh, in the enclosure itself. Okay. You know, no hazards made out of the right material, uh, positioned properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's indoor or outdoor, there's different things to consider. So. Okay. If the average you know parrot owner who's got one bird really and isn't in a place where they feel they could use an outdoor aviary, what kind of materials would you suggest them using um, as far as you know wire mesh things like that are concerned? Uh, depending upon the type of bird that you're housing, um, uh, GAW wire is recommended for outside use, okay. uh, which is galvanized after weld. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, the welding application is also covered with a galvanizing process to prevent rust. Oh, okay. uh, your cage will last much longer. New welded wire, galvanized wire has to be washed uh, to make sure you don't get the toxicity off of the zinc, right. um, which is easily done with vinegar. Okay. But um, you know, leave it outside, let it weather. Don't just buy wire and build a cage and put the bird in it without actually treating the wire itself. Okay, and that's good—a one-time mm-hmm. wash with the yes. vinegar. Okay, because I know mm-hmm. that that's a huge concern in the companion parrot world and in you know in the avicultural world as well. The the toxicity, the zinc toxicity, it comes up all the time. Correct. Um, you know, when I'm speaking to people, yeah. and so the one-shot wash with vinegar. Yeah, um, I usually buy the wire in advance. I leave it out in the rain, uh, the sun. Uh, and then I soak it in a bath of vinegar water, uh, and then again leave it out in the rain and hose it off and let it uh, air dry. Okay. So. And for the the floor of the aviary, is concrete the way to go? It... Concrete works in some applications. Uh, depends upon the location of the aviary. Uh, you need drainage. Okay. Um, concrete will keep your predators from coming in under the bottom of the cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easier to clean and sweep and hose. But that's also a complicated process because you have to clean, sweep, and hose. Right. Uh, dirt grounds uh, allow decomposition much better. Um, but then again, you can have the parasitic problems. Mm-hmm. So it depends upon your bird. If you have a bird that's on the ground a lot, I recommend concrete. Okay. Um, or a suspended aviary. That works just as well. Okay. You know, for somebody who wants to put an aviary out in their backyard, cost-wise... Is it worth it to make you know a big flight, is or is it enough for them to be outside? If they're outside, um, I mean, exercise is part of the experience for them. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, as big as possible with within reason. Okay. Uh, a twenty foot flight for a macaw is great if mm-hmm. you have the space to do it. It doesn't have to be that big, but um, you don't want your bird outside uh, exposed to elements. You need cover, shelter from mm-hmm. rain, sun. Um, so yeah, it's the, the size is almost depending upon the space you're going to put it. Okay. But but make it big enough for the bird to have enough exercise and space to fly. Can it be too big? It can because if you ever have to catch the bird in an emergency, mm-hmm. uh, you need to be able to have access to it. I have some friends who have built what I call tiger pens. <laughs> the birds love them. There's lots of space, but when you need to go to retrieve them to bring them inside or to treat them for a veterinary issue, uh, it can be difficult to uh, 
capture them. <laughs> okay, okay. And, you know, if, if Barb were here, she'd remind us that maybe we could do some training and, and that, get that them to That would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. You're so much a burden, throw it outside because <laughs> you need to be able to, <laughs> right. to work with them. There definitely needs to be something built in as far as a retrieve is concerned, which, you know, safety concerns, Mark. If you've got that bird, you know, and now you've put it outside, what's the best way to ensure that this isn't, that it's not going to be an escape situation? Uh, an airlock system is important if you have a, a large aviary, uh, especially with a, a, an active species. A okay. uh, more sedentary species may not be the one to fly over your shoulder as you open the door, but right. uh, that's always a concern. Can you explain that term for our listeners? For an airlock? Yeah. yeah an airlock is a, an entrance into an aviary that has two doors. Uh, you can walk into an enclosed area, close the door behind you, and then walk into the secondary door, which lets you into the aviary itself. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's so important because we've get, now you're talking about, you know, more than likely a flighted bird that you've got in this aviary and they are capable of of, you know just going right over your shoulder going over your head and out the door and then you you know you need to be concerned with with getting them back and getting them back in the aviary and i think if it's if it's a situation where you know there's a distance from your house to the aviary um, you need to be really careful when you're taking the birds out that you know they're secured from point A to point B, so they're not going. You're, so you're not going to need to get your bird back to video. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think it's uh, that's really important, and it, it brings up some training issues in my mind that you'd want to, you know, perhaps train a recall as you're going to bring if you're going to bring a bird out to an aviary, so that it is in place in case you know even if this your setup doesn't meet all, you know, it doesn't fulfill your needs, the bird does get out then how do you get it back? Mm-hmm. So I think some training is important, you know, if you're going to do this kind of setup. So how about perching in an aviary? I always have at least two perches, one at each end, and high enough that the bird is just above my head level. Okay. So they have a sense of security. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, the size of the aviary depends on how many perches you're going to put in. Okay. You know, a landing at the bottom is good as well, but uh, you tend to trip over those because they're in your <laughs> way. So place the perches for the bird's convenience, but also for your own. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a wood that you would suggest? I mean, we use all different kinds, but is there a certain wood that you think makes good perching? Uh, a lot of people use manzanita. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a large flight, it can be difficult to get lengths that are long enough. Right. There are some complications with manzanita. It's extremely smooth, mm-hmm. so you have to take the grinder over it, rough up the outside, um, make sure there aren't any big cracks in it because toenails can get caught in the cracks. That's a really good um, point. Depending upon the climate that you're in, uh, a wire perch is actually very practical. Uh, but if it's going to be in a cold weather climate, you need to take it out during the freezing months. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the, the manzanita, I remember when if you went into an avian specialty store, that's mm-hmm. what you saw. Yep. That was what all the perching was made of. And it lasts. It definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it's for if you've got a big chewer or something like that, the manzanita will last a little bit longer than, than some of the softer woods. But you're right. You absolutely do have to grind them down. Otherwise, it's just kind of, you know, slip and slide. Yes. And that's you know, not something you want to <laughs> set up. As far as dimensions of perches, I talk about this a lot when I speak to companion parrot owners. Is there, you know, a macaw size? Is there a kayak size, you know, perching? There are many options available. Um, the thing to remember is don't use uh, dowel rods okay. because then the perch is the same diameter for its entire length. You know, a bird with large feet will perch on a small branch, mm-hmm. but he shouldn't have only a small branch to perch on. Right. So... Um, allow different sizes, different textures if you can. You know, natural tree branches are perfect. But again, they chew them up and you have to replace them. Sure. Uh, people use two by fours 
that's a, a good perching material, you replace those quite often also. Right. So yeah, the, the size of the perch is important for the bird's anatomy, mm -hmm. but uh, a, a variation of sizes is what's also important. Right. That's usually the bottom line is when I'm talking to people is that you need to be aware that out in the wild, mm -hmm. the tree branches are not uniform. You know, there's not, it's not an inch and a quarter, or an inch and a half for this kind of bird. And they don't fly around until they find just the perfect branch that's the right diameter all the time. And so, you know, giving them that option, and they're going to move around. If, sure. if they're not comfortable where they are, they're going to move anyway. So that's just something to keep in mind so that when you go to the store, if you're buying perches, if you're not cutting your own, you just need to be aware that you don't. Ha it doesn't always have to be the macaw size or the cockatoo size or, you know, whatever, cockatiel size for that matter. Are there any woods that you don't use? Some of the fruit woods we avoid, uh, mm -hmm. apple and cherry in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be some cyanide traces that are under the bark. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a whole lot of that in Texas growing wild anyway. Right. So we use cedar, uh, okay. which some people say because the oils is not good, mm -hmm. but, you know, the cedar branch is fine. I mean, right. they're going to chew it up, you know, you're going to replace it. Um, oak mm -hmm. is, is naturally a very good one. Yeah. Any other hardwoods that are in this area are fine. It's interesting. Oak comes up a lot on the toxic wood list, mm -hmm. and I think it kind of ended up there inadvertently it doesn't really belong there the acorn is the yes. toxic yeah. material there you yeah. know that's that's what you're you want to avoid but as far as <clears> the woods concerned a lot of the toys that we make have oak parts and oh, sure. you yeah. know it's like rhubarb you eat the stalk don't eat the leaf right you know right. so there <laughs> and i think you know it's it's important to since we're talking about toxic things that when people look at those toxic lists online you could make yourself absolutely crazy, you know, going, oh, well, this is on this list, but it's not on that mm -hmm. list. I found it on one, but, you know, I found it on two, but not three. And <laughs> and it, it can get, you know, you can get crazy. Yeah. But I, I have found um, UC Davis has a really great toxic plant um, and wood list mm -hmm. on their website. Otherwise, you know, just cross-reference, do what you, I feel like do what you're comfortable with. And if you get to that point where, you know, it's just something you're really not sure about, talk to a veterinarian, you know, see, mm -hmm. see what your vet says. So we're going to take a break here, Mark, and we'll, we can talk some more about aviary design when we come back, but we'll be right back after these messages. Ah! What are you doing? Stay perched. Wings and things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Chiwokas, and I'm here today with um, Mark Moore from Hill Country Aviaries in Austin, Texas. 
and we've been discussing aviary design. Mark, what else needs to be in the aviary? If you've got this great outdoor aviary that you've built, what needs to be in there? We've talked about perching. I like an exterior feeding station uh, okay. so that if you don't have to walk into the aviaries you know, to feed your birds, it's a little more convenient for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it also allows people who may need the bird sit for you to come and interact you know, with your birds and feed them and take care of them without actually walking in. Oh, that's a good um, point. So a sheltered um, outside feeding station I think mm-hmm. is very important. Okay. And we, you mentioned before um, having shelter. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm not going to put anything out there. I want them to get sun. And, you know, if it's a bird that you're bringing back into your house, you know, you can bring them in if the weather gets bad. Is a shelter essential in any outdoor aviary? Yeah, all, all animals need to be sheltered, yeah. uh, whether it's from the sun, from the rain, from the wind, or even just a visual barrier from something that might be next to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Shelter is uh, imperative on, on all outside cages. Okay. So. And w- in building that shelter, just, you know, wood barriers, what, what kind of shelter are we talking about? Yeah, you can use a, a wood material. Uh, I like to use roofing material. Uh, it mm-hmm. lasts longer for me. Okay. Um, metal will radiate heat, so mm-hmm. you need to make sure that it's, you know, far enough off the, the cage that it's not going to make a hot environment. But yeah, it can be, you know, plastic is good too, uh, a little more waterproof. Mm-hmm. You know, the wood ones you tend to replace, they rot, fall down. Okay. But uh, yeah, metal or plastic works just as fine. Okay. And would the, in <clears> the <throat> shelters, would you put a bottom in them or would you just do a, you know, corner shelter maybe and put a perch there? As far as a bottom, you mean... Would there be a floor to the shelter? Or where they would be standing on like a flat piece versus a perch? No, I, I would just put a, a roof and a side okay. uh, with, with a perch underneath. Okay. Um, it's easier to clean and maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the birds can also chew them a little bit, so you want to be able to replace them easily. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And so we've got the shelter. We've got, you know, made sure that the, the wire that we're using is right. We've got perching, um, a feeding station. Is there anything else that that you think is is really important in an outdoor aviary? If you can put in some type of enrichment for them, mm-hmm. uh, things to chew on or play with. Um, I used to have some uh, major metro cockatoos. They actually liked to use the bell off of a toy, mm-hmm. and they would scoop up a plastic ball that was on the floor, pick it up and roll it down their back. And that was their game all day long. So yeah. things for them to interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know fun for us to watch. They have things to do. Right. Uh, but yeah, give them something to, to play with or... You know, you know, just they're not in a sedentary environment. There's mm-hmm. just a cage and two perches. So. Right. Sure. And I think, you know, along those lines as well, don't overcrowd them in this aviary. I mean, this is their chance to be outside, kind of sp- spread their wings, pardon the pun. But, um, yeah. you know, I've seen aviaries before that have so much stuff in them that mm-hmm. the birds can't maneuver. Couldn't do a flight from, you know, point A to point B if they really wanted to. <laughs> and and it's it's everything in me in uh, moderation you know I'm obviously all about enrichment and Mm -hmm. that's my thing but you can offer different kinds of enrichment outside than you can inside you know and and it gives you a chance to try some new things we we do a lot of um, water stuff outside Mm -hmm. there's I you know I have a a presentation on how to do a self-directed shower Mm -hmm. which it's important that you have a timer on that one though (laughs) because you know we love our birds but sometimes they just abuse things and you could have just this nice flood going on if they keep using it over and over sure. again. But, you know, things that they can interact with and giving them choices, I think, too, out in, in that aviary. And then if they can go to that shelter and get out of the way or, like you said, a visual barrier, all those things are important. And when you're designing your aviary, I think it's important to think of, if you've got the space, to think about where it's going to go. What are they going to be looking at? What are they going to be exposed to? 
you know, if you've got it. We were working with um, World Bird Sanctuary in uh, St. Louis, and their weathering yard for their birds of prey um, is right up against a hillside. And on the hillside, there are constantly squirrels and deer and things going by, which Ooh. is great enrichment for the birds of prey. But you need to think about that. What are your birds going to be exposed to when they're out there? And it may be, some of it may be a little stress provoking, but that's okay. You know. Which is like building a house. Uh, you know, do you want your front porch to face north if you live in Canada, or do you want your front porch to face south if you live in Florida? I mean, you know, you have to design it based on its location and where the sun sets and where the sun rises and, you know, your general access. So, right. Yeah. Are there any particularly good suppliers that, you know, are national suppliers that you can think of that might be useful to the listeners as far as if they want to undertake this project? Yeah, they're, um, we used to use Valentine Supply a lot, but okay. they've been bought out by a group now in Florida, I believe called Parrot Stuff. Okay. And they've uh, been very good at, at shipping things that you need. Morton Jones mm -hmm. uh, is also a good supplier for your everyday building supplies. But uh, some of your, your farm and fence material suppliers are just as okay. good. And I like Home Depot, and I like uh, right. Tractor Supply. So yeah, and sometimes it's easier that way, and it's more accessible to people. Yeah. When we were talking about suppliers, it made me think: What do you think about like soft mesh that's not necessarily a hard wire? You know, I know some people. There, um, Lara Joseph, who does um, teaches training and uh, behavior modification, she has enclosed her backyard with like a a softer mesh that just goes over the whole top of her backyard. Have you ever used anything like that? More like a poultry netting? Or right, right. I do have some poultry netting, mm -hmm. um, which I use for non-hook bills. Okay. Um, your parrot's going to chew through that eventually. Right. And then you're on a 20-foot ladder with needle and thread sewing it back together. <laughs> it works great for keeping wild birds out of your yard. Okay. I don't think it's going to work for a long time keeping parrots in your yard. Mm -hmm. But it works great for you know your quail, your pheasants, your peacocks things are less likely to, to chew it up. Right. Is there anything, when you mention, you know, keeping wild birds out, are there any safeguards you can take to avoid predation of your birds while they're out in that aviary? You need to have some sort of barrier around the bottom. You know, snakes are a problem, raccoons, possums. Of course, there's the rodent issue. You know, if your wire is too big, you want to have things just coming and going, so your mm -hmm. feed bill is going to be increased. But uh, then there's also the disease transmission process also. So, right. yeah. You know, you can't keep everything out. But it helps if um, you design it to keep some out. Yeah. Okay. If you're not using a concrete floor, if you're using a, a ground floor, you know, dirt mm. or whatever, how far down in do you need to sink your wire? I, mean, I like to go down at least a foot. Okay. Because there's a lot of skunks in this area, mm -hmm. and those guys like to dig. So yeah. if you can put in a little bit of a concrete footer mm -hmm. and some wire that goes down about a foot, that'll keep out almost all your predators. Okay. Okay, yeah, because I know that that is an issue that a lot of people face, and a, it deters a lot of people from doing it, you know. If you've got an aviary that you're going to be, you know, out there most of the time when your birds are out there, that, you know, it's fine, but you really, if you've got birds that you're going to be leaving out for any extended period of time, then it, you definitely need to be aware of those kind of things. Now, Mark, we to get away from aviary design just for a minute, you're very involved with AFA, the American Federation of Aviculture. Yeah. I think it's a great organization, and I think that uh, pet... Uh, bird owners need to be involved as well. It's traditionally been an organization of breeders, is that correct? That's or? how it started, yeah. And what would you, you know, you work on the watchbird. I do. You know, what would you tell people about the watch, what would you like them to know about the watchbird? The watchbird is, is the journal from the American Federation of Agriculture, and it has articles from all over the world, whether it's a conservation article or some of the, the more famous parks that are either in Spain or Germany or even in the United States, uh, what their breeding successes have been, what they're building, what they're interacting with the public. 
and also stories about individuals and their their pet birds. So mm-hmm. it's it's a well-rounded magazine with lots of information. It is, and it's it's a beautiful magazine. It's you. really a visually stimulating publication. Now, how do you get your articles for the Watchbird? We solicit some articles from people that we know that are actually in the industry or out in the field. There's a group on the board of directors who helps gather up some of the information for us. And then there's people who just enjoy the magazine and want to contribute. So we encourage that. So that's something for the listeners to think about, that if you you want to join AFA and, and you become a member and you have a particularly interesting story about you know, some success that you've had or, you know, an experience that you've had at a particular facility, something like that, you could send in an article. And how would they do that, Mark? Just use my email address is the easiest, uh, which is afawatchbird at earthlink.net. Okay. And then we'll send the document to the review committee and uh, we'll contact you. Great. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. So to get involved with AFA, what do people need to do? I mean, membership is always, you know, the organizations I belong to, we're always talking about membership. Mm-hmm. And is it a big process for somebody to become a member of AFA? It's a few clicks on the internet. It's very simple. It's a $40 a year membership. Most of that covers your magazine. Okay. Uh, and others, you know, goes to the, the projects that we support mm-hmm. uh, and to keep the organization fighting for your rights to keep birds. Okay. Which is very, in, in this day and age, I think that's a very big issue mm-hmm. that a lot of people aren't aware of that there are, you know, questions coming up out there in the legislature that are suggesting that, you know, ownership of any kind of exotic is not going to be possible. And that's something that AFA works very diligently on, am I correct? Yes, they do, absolutely. Okay. So your membership gets you your subscription to the Watchbird? Yeah, the the Watchbird magazine comes out quarterly. It also gives you advantage to post classifieds or go to the Internet. Clubs can join, and there's information that they can put in their newsletters. Uh, we have a convention once a year which travels back and forth through the southern states. Okay. Uh, you get a discount on your convention uh, registration. But there's lots of benefits to becoming a member. Okay, yeah. good. So you should check that out. And um, again, the website for um, AFA is what? The AFABirds.org. Okay, AFABirds.org. That's mm-hmm. something you know, you want to check out. And it, like I said, it's well worthwhile. And I think people sometimes think of AFA as as an organization just for for people who are breeding birds but that's not necessarily the case and I think there's a lot of really great information Um, and even if it is slanted you know if the the information does have a a breeding slant there's still information that as a pet bird owner that people can take away from that I mean the aviary design piece here today that we've talked about you know a lot of that is from your breeding experience Mm. and in its but it's still very relevant to people who Mm. are who are trying to build aviaries at their homes so is there anything else, Mark, that we want to convey to the listeners? or Just, you know, if you're designing an aviary, uh, be practical about it. Use durable materials that are safe. And uh, like I said, make it as big as you can within reason. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you for being here. And I uh, just have a couple of upcoming events. May 16th, Florida West Coast Avian Society is having its annual bird mart, and I'll be speaking there. And July 17th and 18th, I'll be doing the enrichment side of a raptor handling class in New Mexico. That's part, you can check that out at avianambassadors.com. And some of the websites that we'd like you to visit are goodbirdinc.blogspot.com, goodbirdinc.com, theleatherelves.com, avianenrichment.com, and hillcountryaviaries.com. And then, as we mentioned, afabirds.org. So, for the enrichment tip of the week, the aviary, it's all about providing enough but not too much stimulation I think you know you've got this bird it's outside it's getting all that external stimulation 
and what you're providing as far as enrichment is concerned kind of needs to go along with that. You know, maybe the perching gets moved so they can see different things from that vantage point. Try to keep your, your enrichment that you're providing out in an aviary as natural as possible, just so that it kind of is a nice flow, a nice transition from what your bird's getting in its cage, in its home. We're out of time. I, you know, look forward to talking to you some more, Mark, and um, we'll be back checking out Hill Country Aviaries. And as usual, if you'd like to contact us, if you have questions or suggestions, it's Robin at PetLifeRadio.com or Barbara at PetLifeRadio.com. So thanks for joining us, Mark, and we will be talking to you. Thank you, Robin. Thanks. Bye-bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.